in that sense, both of the movements, the sustainability and the enablement movement try to change the system for the better so that it's more efficient and that we are not wasting things and that we are having better results and outcomes. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. The secret sauce of leading sales enablement professionals is the ability to connect the dots. They are able to identify the tools, approaches, and ways of thinking outside of sales enablement's core body of knowledge that can help them achieve their goals. Our guest in this week's episode is a sustainability advocate, and he will break down what enablement can learn from the sustainability movement. Please welcome the Director of Revenue Enablement at Augury, Sasha Dynat. Sasha, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Great to have you here. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. Where are you dialing in from today? Both of us, we sound like we're dialing in from uh, Germany, but we're two of the very few people in the English-speaking sales enablement community that actually rock the German accent. I think the other two that come to mind are probably Britta Lawrence from PDA Group in Austria and Tamara Schenk, of course, but you're just like me, not based in Germany. So where are you dialing in from? Yeah, I'm dialing in from Phoenix, Arizona in the US. It's pretty hot here. And yes, you're right. Of course, I haven't. German accent, and I was so looking forward to completing your team with the German accents. That's right. That's right. I think there's a severe shortage. There's not only a talent shortage, there's also a shortage of German accents. So we're trying to solve that in this episode. But before we get going, I'm really curious to know and also to inform our listeners of where you come from and what informs your thinking. I'm really curious to know what is your background and what has been your career journey so far and what do you do now? So first of all, today I'm serving as a director of revenue enablement in a company called Augury. It's a startup, which is a couple of years old already. But then uh, from my journey, it's pretty unusual for an enablement person in the sense that I'm not coming from the training development environment. I'm a trained engineer. During uh, my university time, I already discovered that I'm not liking to sit in the basement and soldering and doing all the engineering stuff. So I went into program management and then I went into architecture, solution architecture, which formed a good view of developing systems, have developed some of the biggest television networks around the world, the more modern ones with renting videos and so on. And then people discovered that I'm quite good in picking up with sales and holding them accountable what they are selling. So I toured around Eastern Europe and so on to sell with our salespeople and develop business. So this way, I found my way into, from the operational part, into sales as an architect, but then also as sales as going really out and being with the salespeople. And from there, I went into enablement. Awesome. Yeah, I've got a feeling, as you said, there's a lot of enablers that come from a training background. Then there's some enablers that sort of have like a marketing and content background and enablement functions that are more, that more interpret the enablement function from a content point of view. And then after that, it gets really exotic, right? So I feel like you with your engineering background kind of fit into that category. I always find it interesting, but I also always think that the sort of experience that you have really informed the way you approach the enablement role that you occupy. And something that really jumped out at me when we previously caught up about enablement and we had to chat about enablement, the concept that I've heard for the first time from you was sustainability and enablement. What is that all about? 
Yeah, two things about my past, which also lead over to the sustainability space. First of all, as an architect, I did a lot in the sense of systems thinking. So understanding really which pieces need to move to make the overall thing move consistently, which helps me a great deal now on the enablement side. And then the other thing is it helped a lot to be in different roles also on the operational side, because now today I'm talking to different people in the company in different roles in different departments and need to make them understand what we need on the sales side and on the marketing side and also on the other customer facing role side. And that helps a lot to having walked in their shoes and explaining them, okay, guys, this is what you are doing and this is what we need from that piece that you are doing. And then the sustainability piece developed over time. It was first of all a hobby. I did it privately, but I realized at some point that we can't solve the issues that we have as mankind by just doing it by myself. So the scope went bigger. So I joined a company already in January, which is doing something in the space and has the potential to have a great impact in that space. Then from there, I also developed a kind of bottom-up approach in my company. So that piece of enablement and sustainability is more and more melting together. And obviously the sustainability movement has developed a lot of approaches that sales enablement can learn from. Like what are some of those approaches? First of all, I do think that both sides can learn from each other, but let me start slightly differently with the story. When I'm driving here through Phoenix, we see a lot of construction sites because the city of Phoenix is putting big pipes into the cities because we will run out of water eventually from one side of the city and they are creating facilities to pump the water from one side to the other side. That's a big systematic impact and also a big systematic thinking that is needed to kind of fuel a city with water. Now, relating that to what I said before, the systems thinking and the thinking that we need in strategic enablement is that when we look at the commercial system and then look at in sustainability, obviously the system, the world is much bigger, but in the end, there are a lot of moving pieces. And in that sense, both of the movements, the sustainability and the enablement movement try to change the system for the better so that it's more efficient and that we are not wasting things and that we are having better results and outcomes. So an ecological system, just like a sale system, just like a buying system, just like a market as a whole are incredibly complex. There are almost endless variables to consider. How do you go about actually understanding systems and how do you map out the factors and the variables that really matter in those kind of changes that you want to spark? Here we are touching on a topic that you have mentioned with many guests before. We need to look at who are the audiences basically. So who in the end in a commercial system wants to buy something, needs to buy something or who we want to sell to. So how do they go about their work? What's the need that they have? So really the buyer cycle, identifying the buyer cycle similar way on the sustainability side, what we aim to do is really looking at what do humans need and how can we do it in a way that is sustainable, meaning that also future generations have the resources, for example, water, because I used that story before enough in the future to sustain their living. So bringing that back to the commercial side. Obviously in enablement, we want to create an environment where we use the resources that we have as efficient as possible. And nevertheless, we need some of them and need to use them wisely. And whenever I'm designing this and looking at the systems, I'm looking really 
at the buyer journey and how are the different audiences and roles are split up alongside the buyer journey. And when I want to make changes, then obviously I'm looking at what does that particular audience need to, in one case, sell to the buyer or in the environment case, what is the underlying issue, which is the audience or who are the people who are dealing with that and how can we make them change to have a substantial impact. And in terms of identifying the things that need to change and then move towards that change, change management is obviously a big piece. How does that need to be approached in order to make it effective? And what are the parallels between the sustainability movement and what we do in terms of change management from an ecological point of view and how we tackle change management within an organization? Change management is a big topic, right? In the enablement space, and when I listen to your podcast, I hear this over and over again. We need to find out how we can motivate people to do something different tomorrow. And we might not even have formal power over them because they are part of the hierarchy of the commercial system, either in the marketing department or in the sales department or elsewhere. Similar way in a sustainability space, when you want to have positive impact, obviously you need to find a way to motivate people over which you don't have formal power, unless you reach a point where governments are regulating change and then people are being forced to do so. But obviously the more positive way of change management is to get the buy-in, to motivate them to do the change by themselves. And that very often starts with education on both sides. So how can you supply the right material and how can you teach them what good looks like in the future? And this way, get the buy-in. And in every change curve, there's work with early adopters. So we always find the people who like to do change. And same as in the organization, we try to find willing people in the sustainability space. And you focus on them first, try the model, try whether it's working, see whether it has a positive impact, and then try to implement the change with more people. So from your point of view, it's then really crucial to identify those allies, which then amplify the movement across the whole organization. Yeah, that's very true. Okay. In terms of the diversity is another area within sustainability. That's also something that you touched on in previous conversations. How does that play into the enablement space? Like why does diversity matter? Diversity allows to basically look at the same problem from different angles. And in my experience, and that's valid for both areas, sustainability and enablement, if you have a diverse set of people involved, it doesn't matter which angle you play, all kinds of diversity are good, then you, you suddenly see solutions that you didn't see before because you will have a different angle. You are living in Australia. You will have a different angle than me. And then when we kind of put these thoughts together in that constellation that we are building around that need that we have identified and the solution that we try to find, the better outcomes we create for more people. Got it. When we think about outcomes for different people and outcomes for different departments, a dynamic that always takes place over and over again in enablement is that there's the interest of shareholders of a company, there's an interest of senior management, there's an interest of different departments, and then it goes down to the individuals, for example, sales reps. They might have competing goals, right? And sustainability might mean something else for different people, right? Like for shareholders, sustainability might be seen as the sustainability of their investment. The investment is only sustainable if you achieve certain growth rates, but then 
from a sales point of view, the sustainability might be the ability to perform on a consistent level and not getting burned out and still being biocentric while hitting your revenue targets. How do you navigate those often competing forces that you fight in this incredibly complex system that is an organization? From my view, there's, there's a lot of try and error. We talked already about change management and how to implement change. When we look at solutions for complex systems and the environment, as well as social systems that we build as humans, as well as companies, which are bigger and let's say have more than five people, you always have a dynamic where you need to align interests. And the good thing is that over time, our tools, especially in the computer space and our work tools have been becoming so flexible that we can try out a lot without really implementing the solution. So we created a foundation of tools, not talking about the commercial space, where we can create mockups very early, try them out with a particular group, see whether they are successful, do small changes on the way. That's the try and error that I mean. So sometimes something doesn't work because once again, I have a different view on the problem than you. So having these incremental steps and once it's successful, showing it to the broader people. So let's say we have a senior person in the, in the organization, a senior stakeholder who wasn't convinced before. Once you start showing a mock-up, a demo of what we're trying to achieve, and then also showing related data of the trials that you did or attempts that you did and said, okay, this part is actually working. What do you think about? Then we don't talk about, let's say, my ambition and your ambition, and I want to be stronger or you want to be stronger than me. We talk about really something that's existing because it's a mock-up and when people see something, then they also start believing in it. And then secondly, we talk about data and metrics and then let's say the subjective part is reduced. Okay. And in terms of the sales enablement, oftentimes, as you said, doesn't have any formal power, might have indirect power through a senior leadership buy-in. Especially for those listeners that might be a bit early in their career and don't really have that experience in stakeholder management. Do you have any recommendations on how they can navigate the fact that they don't have formal power and how they can increase that influence? Yeah, first of all, touching on the point that you made earlier with the diversity and the question that you made earlier, walking in the shoes of the others helps a lot. Meaning you don't need to become a salesperson, but if you start shadowing calls or seeing how for example, sales development reps are doing their calls, listening in. If you have a tool, great. If you don't have a tool, try to sit with them or participating in some calls and seeing what the buyers are saying opens your eyes and what their challenges are that you're trying to overcome. And that fundamental understanding of the problem on the other side also helps you getting credibility when you craft the solution afterwards. And then you can also very often go back to the same people and say, we've seen that you had challenges with this particular thing, or the buyer always had this kind of objection. Here is an objection handling guide to overcome these objections. And eventually here is a piece of marketing material. So this creates credibility. And based on initial credibility, you can start developing that system of having champions who are working with you earlier. And then this whole process of developing that buy-in starts. I found this incredibly helpful, especially I never carried a bag in that sense. I was out there in the field and I was living with the salespeople and driving in a car through Eastern Europe and so on. 
But then I sometimes get the question, did you ever carry a bag? Which is a fully valid question. But then when they understand that I'm trying to walk in their shoes and see, oh, okay, that's their issue with the system. That's the issue with the CRM system, or that's the issue with a piece of material. Then I start to get credibility. So I was with my salespeople and was in a car driving around in Eastern Europe, but I was never a bag carrier in the true sense that salespeople mean when they ask the question of whether I was a bag carrier. And very often the same people are starting to look at me with different eyes when I actually start to walk in their shoes and see what they are actually trying to do, whether it's a change in this CRM system or whether it's having particular material available. And then by walking through this iterative change process and getting more and more buy-in, I'm gaining credibility. And from my experience, that helped a lot. It really strikes me from everything that you say that there's like two key components to actually adopt that mindset that is needed to spark true change in an organization, which is the empathy, really understanding all of your stakeholders, including sales, to really understand what their needs are and how the alignment can happen, as well as systems thinking. So really understanding the different variables and really the factors that you need to consider in order to spark change. What are some of your recommendations on how people can train those two areas? What are the things that people can do to increase their ability to empathize with their stakeholders and also to think more in systems and follow that approach more? I will answer the second first. What helps me a lot is picturing it. So when we talk about a company that's an incredible complex system already, obviously for the sustainability world, it gets even more complex. But picturing it by simply drawing it on a paper with a pen helps me to visualize it. And we humans are incredibly good in visualizing things or taking things up with our eyes. And having it just in front of me, for example, when we talk the buyer journey and we have the different stages that they go through, also align, okay, oh, this is the sales process. And then these are the different roles. And you start a very systematic approach to understanding what these different pieces do and how they hang together. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Obviously, the first picture will not be the greatest. That's the same that they teach in art. They say, just try and do. And then it gets better over time, the more understanding you have of your system. And that helps you then later also to target the right department. So once we run sales and everyone as a program-based art, basically, then you can also go and say, okay, I need to do change here, here, and here. And at the end, we need to train about it and communicate about it. Now, the empathy thing I will answer also with a simple approach, try to just listen in what they do, right? So the best approach for me is very often when I talk to the people and really listen in what they talk with the customer, for example. We have a recording system that records our calls. I know in some regions on the globe, there's some data privacy concern around this, but depending on how it is set up, either listen to the recordings or ask some sales, for example, to go into some calls with them to really understand where's the customer struggling, what are they trying to achieve, and then how are the salespeople going about it. And that creates empathy with that particular role. And the same applies for other roles, obviously, in the commercial engine. Sasha, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on sustainability and sales enablement. Do you have any resources that you can recommend anybody look into who wants to learn more about this topic and adopt more of those sort of skills that are related to the sustainability movement? So first of all, 
there are fantastic resources and we can share the links afterwards on YouTube where people spend a lot of effort on creating training videos on what is sustainability at all and how does sustainability and business align. There's this principle of people, planet and profit, the triple bottom line that many people mention in that sense. So that's something that I would recommend for sustainability. For enablement, it's a pretty young profession, as you know yourself. What I'm recommending typically is join the club, join one of the clubs. In the meantime, there are multiple ones. For example, here in the US and also going globally, there's the Sales Enablement Society. And there you meet other people and start really listening in what the more experienced people are saying. There are communities, forums where you can ask questions. So don't be shy, just ask them. But do also a little bit of research whether that question was asked before and just learn from there. Thank you so much, Sasha. And if people want to learn more about you and possibly connect with you online, where can they do that? The best way is through LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn and I'm sure you, Felix, will share the link and my contact on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sasha. Thanks a lot. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. Hi, this is Felix Kruger. And Devin McDermott. Sales enablement is one of the fastest growing business trends globally, and it's hard to keep up with all the information that's out there. That's why Felix and I have teamed up to curate the latest industry news, expert insights, research reports, and social media buzz for you. If you want to be in the know and operate on the cutting edge of sales enablement, this month in sales enablement has you covered. Visit thestateofsalesenablement.com to register for the live stream or subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement on all major podcast platforms.